to Name Taken Podcast. Welcome to a bonus episode. I am your host, Michael Marshall. Each week, I celebrate the unique stories and shared Michael Marshall experiences of another Michael Marshall somewhere else in the world. Um, except that's not exactly true this week. I only ran through my introductory premise thing for the sake of continuity. This is a bonus episode, which means all bets are off. My bonus episodes are a place where I can contain the really cool spillover from my Michael Marshall interviews. When I have an absolutely amazing conversation with or about a Michael Marshall, and we get into a serious tangent that still kind of rules and is mostly relevant, I pull together a bonus episode, you know, for funsies. This bonus episode features a handful of additional stories and recollections about the history of Hacky Sack by Episode 5's guests, Linda Roberts and Bruce Guttich. In particular, you'll hear about the complicated events leading up to the sale of the brand Hacky Sack to Whammo by the other co-inventor, John Stahlberger. This all happened long after Mike Marshall passed away. Also, when I spoke to Bruce and was so taken by his knowledge and enthusiasm for Footbag, I deviated from my own set of questions to ask him what made Footbag and its history so important to him. And the answer I got was really endearing and uplifting. That's also in here. So thanks for listening through my first five episodes and enjoy these fun extras from Linda and Bruce about the world of Hacky Sack. Hey book they made up the game they gave it rules and one of the things that was different than the search that they did for the patent a lot of the other games there was shuttlecocks there was different beanbags there was different games played all over the world that were like hacky sack but they wanted to make theirs unique mm-hmm. by having no hands okay so they could use any body parts except your hands or elbows but you could do, use your head, knees. I don't know if they ever used their butt. But they could use, they, there was chest bumps. Yes. And they just developed that. And they put it all in a little booklet. And eventually, you know, got the booklet published. And next thing they did some videos. And that was after Mike died. Him and Mike just basically had a uh, booklet that they had printed up by hand. Sure. So they would just, I probably did all the work. I can't even remember, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that we just would write it out and they would just sit around refining their rules and objects of the game. Okay. And then after Mike died, Johnny, pretty soon after that, got a touring team that I don't think they got paid. They sure. just got expenses and they would start they went to the local schools, and then it would just go further than that to where word was out and they would perform at assemblies. Okay. And then it got bigger and bigger to where they actually had a van and the touring teams would go. It just got bigger and bigger from the Pacific Northwest to all around the United States to eventually Europe and I don't know who financed all that, but I think eventually Ken Corp, who sold the rights to Whammo, had enough money that they were financing the touring teams to go on a bigger circuit. Uh, and also, 
I should say, too, in the early days of Hackysack, it was the attorneys um, for John that came along and said, hey, you know what, um, you've, got, you've got a really clever brand name, but that's what it is. It's a brand name. Mm-hmm. So you, you, can't, you can't go out and play Hackysack. You should have it as a Hackysack something. So what is it going to be? And, and so, you know, back in those days, and I was kind of part of, of that, that evolution, is, well, we said, well, you know, we use our feet, and, and it's really kind of a bag. So, uh, you know, it should be maybe foot bag. Uh, and that's, that's how we uh, coined the name of the sport. Uh, you know, you have baseball, and you have basketball, and you have football, um, and you don't go out and Wilson you don't go out in Spalding, you go out and play football with a Wilson football. And it's the same brand name scenario that we have in a lot of things. So to avoid losing the rights to their brand name and making it generic, uh, they came up with Hacky Sack Footbag. So if you look at some of the early uh, models of a Hacky Sack, you'll actually see where it says Hacky Sack FB. So after after the initial um, production in Oregon of the two-panel cowhide leather hacky sack model, um, they um, they went to uh, Haiti for production, and and uh, eventually it uh, went to Taiwan, and then uh, uh, in 1983, John was approached by Whammo people to make the Frisbees and hula hoops and slip and slides and Super Bowls and all those uh, childhood treasures. uh, And they um, made him an offer to buy the uh, North American rights. And uh, and it it, um, was, you know, kind of launched at that point into the into the big time. So and and the other footbags might came later. It was 10 years after Mike died that Johnny and I got together. We had been best friends. He had divorced my best friend. I had already been his maid of honor at one or two of his other brief weddings. So, I mean, I was really a good friend. And then that friendship developed into more because he always loved me. Of course, Linda, I have always loved you. I owe everything to you. And so we actually lived together for two years. And then he also lived part-time because by then he had Ken Corp, which was the corporation that actually made the most money, financed the touring teams. His partner actually invested a lot of money. They had an office. They rented a house for the touring team. And Johnny and Lee, his partner at that time, financed what was what Whammore finally bought out in 1990. I, I can't remember. That sure. must have been eighty in the mid eighties. Okay. I'll find the they, date. But yeah. Yeah, they sold the manufacturing and distribution rights to Footbag to Whammo. I think Johnny and I split up in eighty three or four. So it was right after that. So six months after he dumped me for the baby his son's babysitter. Are you serious? No. Okay. The babysitter was our age. I mean she was a mother of four kids that lived across the street from the Hacky Sack Touring House. But Johnny and I were best friends for 10 years. Yeah. Really good friends. Very close. 
but not as close as we were when we fell in love and had a major relationship for two years. Yeah. So he lived here with me, but then he also had his own room at the touring house. Okay. So that you know he he rented that, but he lived here with me. Sure. Because I'm a very good cook <laughs> and a really good best friend. Okay. But the only time I got bent out of shape was when Johnny dumped me. I had a broken heart. He sold Whammo for, I think they got a million and a half, a million and a half, that him and his partner split. And, of course, I got nothing. No paperwork other than me signing my legal shares over to Johnny for a dollar. Because just like earnest money, buying a house, there has to be an exchange of money. Mm-hmm. With the, all that kind of paperwork. So because Johnny was, oh, Linda, you know I love you. I will always take care of you. Um, I just was a little bit missed when he had just dumped me. And it was within just five or six months that they sold it for a million and a half. And it was all I could do to go get the two grand that he owed me that, that was just from other things. I don't know why two grand was always the amount of money that <laughs> Somebody always needed from me, but even back then it was a lot of money. So Johnny at least paid me back his debt for me supporting him. Yeah, he just needed money all the time because he was not rich ever until Whammo bought them out for all that money. So then I did get a little bit missed, and I quit going to tournaments. I kind of turned my back on Hacky Sack, and it would come on TV, and I would burst into tears. That would just lasted a little while. That was really the first, uh, the first run for the money that Hacky Sack had as far as a competitor, uh, and, and it really made uh, a huge difference to the player because it was now it was round. It was uh, when the original two-panel Hacky Sack model came out. They were kind of egg-shaped and kind of oblong, and you had to break them in. You really had to soften them up before they were. Uh, before you could have any kind of control on them. And, I remember you know, having to, to open them up a little bit and let some stuff out and roll them around and, and all those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, well, <laughs> even, even the, the, the cowhide leather hacky sack had the, uh, I, I guess, premise that people would have to run over it with a car <laughs> and, and, and soften it up or put in link, mink oil and snow seal and buy well and all these different <laughs> leather oils on them to soften them up and, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the early ones, if you took it out of the package, it would be like trying to kick a milk carton. It was it was just spun off your foot, and I don't know how we ever stuck with it. But when when the first Sipa Sipas came out or the first crocheted models, it, it made a huge difference on the learning curve. I mean, mm-hmm. people could, could pick it up a lot faster. When Johnny, Johnny and Lee sold the rights to Whammo, a lot of people were very upset because they were working for whatever minimum wage or they wondered, well, what's going to happen now because Johnny used to run the Players Association and he just kind of got out of the whole thing and took the money and run. But Bruce and his good friend Greg Cordoposi, and they were also very good friends of mine, they decided, well, I helped them decide because everybody is at loose ends. Nobody knew what to do. I had already been broke up with Johnny for a few months. One day we're sitting around here at the farm, commiserating our broken hearts, and they felt like they had got dumped too. Mm-hmm. And so we all decided to go skiing at Mount Bachelor. So we hop in my Volvo, 
and go skiing in Mount Bachelor, just the three of us, me and Bruce and Greg. And all the way they're going, well, I don't know what to do. What should we do about the Players Association? All those players out there, there needs to be a head. There needs to be an organization with people at the other end of the phone. And they just didn't know what to do because they didn't have a job. They were at a loss. We were just going to go skiing and having a few drinks and tearing up the mountain. But by the time we got there, they together had decided, well, I think that we should play do the Players Association. But by then they both wanted to move to Colorado where the snow is way better than Oregon snow. The snow here is peanut butter snow. Colorado snow, now that I've skied on that, it's champagne snow. <laughs> big, big difference. Because Bruce was born in Oregon. He was born in Portland. Greg was born in California, but I think they either had friends or somebody had lived in Colorado before. So by the time we were done with our ski weekend, they had decided that together they were going to team up, move to Colorado, and form the World Footbag Association. And that's what they did. But they really, it was a very big step. It was a big leap. Yeah. You don't have any money or a job, and you're going, oh, shit, what are we going to do now? We may as well continue this wild and crazy ride. And so I just said, okay, you guys, because they looked to me for advice, and they said, well, what would Mike say? Mm-hmm. And I said, without a doubt, I, would, I said, follow your heart. He was a dreamer. He was a go-getter if he was following his dream. So direct line from me to God to back to you guys from Mike is follow your heart, follow your dream. And so that just clinched it. And next thing you knew, they packed up and left me and went to Colorado. (laughs) So I even was a little bit of an inspiration in that also. Well, I have a, I have a close attachment to it. I grew up in Oregon and uh, was able to meet uh, John Stahlberger Mm -hmm. in in the infancy of the sport. And I, I, got accepted into that small circle, and, and it was a small circle back in those days, because footbag was really confined to, you know, southern corner of Washington and the northern corner of Oregon, and mm-hmm. just a few players and, and uh, people that were were passionate about it, and uh, again, I, I feel honored to be uh, a part of something that now is, is global. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it really has... Um, become uh, an activity that uh, it's you're hard-pressed to find somebody, at least in the United States, that doesn't know what hacky sack or footbag is. Sure. Um, and, and to still say that the, the inventor of it is alive and well and, and um, has been able to share his, his passion and his dream with others. And the unique part of footbag is that it... Um, it has a, a special energy of sharing and, and cooperative play, uh, as well as athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly John's, um, John's motivation to um, continue um, promoting it as, as an athletic tool was, was big for me. I used to ski race in the, in the Northwest, and I found um, you know, 
all the things that he was saying about, you know, right and left sides of the body and, and balancing on your feet and the timing and rhythm and the focus and concentration and, and the lifting. And, you know, even if you can't link 10 kicks together, just bending over and picking it up enough times is a, is a great exercise, uh, let alone, um, you know, what you can do if, if you're able to keep it in the air and balance it. Um, uh, finding another person to play with so that you can actually play a game of catch or like a tennis game or you know some sort of volleyball game with your feet uh, was just tremendous exercise and, and what it would do for your focus and your concentration for your other sports is just had all kinds of uh, great benefits to it. I, you know, I've had the uh, good fortune of, of meeting a lot of um, athletes in this. Um, this journey that I've been on, and you know, Steve and Phil Mayer are skiers from the Northwest uh, Olympic uh, Olympians um, uh, played footbag. Um, I, I got a chance to play footbag with John Elway. I've played footbag with with Tony Hawk. I, <laughs> I taught uh, uh, I taught footbag to Kevin Costner for a, a movie that he was going to use it in, and you know, Bruce Jenner and and uh, Richard Simmons and. Alvin Lee, I don't know if you know who Alvin Lee is, but he's a famous guitar player for 10 years after. Yeah. You know, it's just fun things that, that came along in my life as a result of uh, of this game. We always always knew that the Europeans were going to kick our ass eventually in, uh, in the competitive world of footbag where, you know, the game is played over a net and has uh, just, uh, you know... Uh, court awareness and sense and, and footbags that are rock hard that have um, you know a different flight characteristic and all mm-hmm. that and, and uh, freestyle I mean if you can go on our website again worldfootbag.com that has incredible videos of freestyle players uh, of what they're doing with with a footbag today is it's just phenomenal I, I get a chance to go to the world championships and I've been playing this game a long time. Mm-hmm. Number of world titles, but I, I still go there, and I'm I'm just in awe at at what they're able to do um, with their feet and and the inventiveness and the creativeness. Mm-hmm, of the sure. it's, it's just it's wild. I'd like to once again thank Bruce and Linda for sharing their terrific stories as well as their captivating passion, um, and of course thanks to Miles Kalachick for my intro and outro jams. Next week. I return to my normal formatting with episode six, when I share my interview with Washington, D.C.-based world-renowned architect, Michael Marshall. So that's it for this episode. If you or someone you know is a Michael Marshall, or if you just have a common name, reach out and share your story. Thanks. Thanks.